You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Bob Odom, who serves in the pastoral team at LifeGate Church. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Obviously, we're shifting gears a little bit today, and uh, in more ways than one. Uh, I'm not going to take a single text today to walk through, because I've just kind of had it on my heart to, to do something, and I, I didn't know on Thursday that I was going to need to do this, but here I am. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about prayer, and There's something that I want us to grasp today that I'd like to present looking through some some different passages in the Gospel of Luke. So I would encourage you, if you did bring a Bible, just open it to Luke and keep it there because we'll be referring back to that. So I'd like to give kind of an overview today of prayer, but from three different perspectives. And I think they'll be on the the wall behind me. The points I'd like to make to that, what I'd like to look at is the prayer life of Jesus while he was on the earth, and then the prayer life of Jesus in heaven, and then what that means for our call as his followers to be people of prayer. Now, I had a neat experience last night. Some of you may may, uh, take exception to this, but I want you to know that I have the best sister who ever lived. Uh, she is a delight. She called me last night to tell me that she'd been reading a book about revivals and outpouring of, of God on people and places and all of that. And she came across the revival that occurred at Asbury College in Feb- February of 1970. And she said, I remember you talking about that. You were there, weren't you? And I said, yes. We were there. We witnessed that. We saw one of the most outstanding, incredible events of our lives. We'll never forget it. Where God just poured out His Spirit and thousands and thousands of people were saved. And everywhere the students went and told the story of that revival, the same thing happened in those churches or college campuses or wherever we went. So, Those kind of times, who doesn't hunger for that kind of thing? Wouldn't you like to see that in our day and time? An outpouring of God's Spirit that would result in in so many things. Just maybe the church being awakened with a new zeal. Maybe evangelism becoming the passion of every life within the church where we want to share the gospel. When God pours out His Spirit, there's such a change that occurs in the community of faith that outsiders looking in say, man, I want to be part of that family because they see something that they hunger for, to be part of a godly community. So we all want that. And that and everything else in our spiritual walk must be one in the place of prayer before it becomes actuality in our experience in life. 
Prayer is the key to that. That prayer wins things. Prayer wins victories. That's where victories are won in prayer. Uh, that's where um, battles are often fought in the place of prayer. That's where fruitful labor is often birthed in the place of prayer. And then they may become, all of that may become reality in our experience and life. Well, I'd like for us to look at Jesus' life of prayer while he was on this earth and see how his life of prayer bears that out. Luke, we're starting in chapter 5, and I want to read uh, verses 15 and 16. Chapter 5 of Luke, verses 15 and 16. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Everybody was hearing about Jesus, and so they wanted to come and see this. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, here's what is significant to me about that. This is the Son of God. And the way I think is, if anybody never didn't need to pray, it's probably Jesus. But that's not the way he looked at it. He would withdraw, even in the middle of crowds coming, he would withdraw to desolate places for the purpose of prayer. And then follow that over into chapter 6, verse 12. This is the day before he was to name his disciples. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. It used to be a desolate place, now it's a mountain. But he went out to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And what did he do after that night of prayer? He appointed his disciples. Jesus spent the whole night praying. This is the Son of God. It challenges me in a way to, to try to understand this. Chapter 6, we continue on. Uh, 27 and 28. Jesus said this, part of the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Jesus, who spent nights and days in prayer and did everything by prayer, was now calling his disciples to be men of prayer, women of prayer, young people of prayer, children of prayer, 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 prayer. It was the emphasis of his ministry. And do you realize when he says, uh, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you, is there anywhere where that was more fulfilled than it was by Jesus on the cross? When he said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. So he, he prayed. He called his people to prayer. And then over to 9, chapter 9. We'll look at 28. 9, 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Here he is again, going to the mountains. Let that be a lesson. Going to the mountains to pray. Now, and taking some of his disciples with him. And this was the Mount of Transfiguration. This is when uh, he opened their eyes and they saw, the, they saw this radiance coming from him. And when they actually heard a voice out of a cloud that surrounded Jesus and the voice said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus, on the mountain to pray. 
always just kind of follow it all the way through every aspect of his life. Chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here he is again, calling his disciples, his followers, to do what he was doing. Pray, pray, pray. There needs to be laborers to go out. There's a harvest to be gathered, a harvest of souls. And he said, but there aren't very many laborers, so you pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out laborers. So he's calling his people to pray, pray, and pray. Chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Here he is again. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John, John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our, tra- our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus praying, instructing, commanding his disciples to pray, telling them how they should pray. And then he goes even further in this same chapter 11, verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What a promise for Jesus to give his disciples. Again, setting the example of prayer and calling them, calling us to pray. Chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Maybe brings to remembrance one of the things the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's easy to lose heart, isn't it? The cure for losing heart is to be a man, a woman, a young person, a child of prayer. Pray and don't lose heart because prayer puts our attention in the right place. Prayer, always pray and don't lose heart. 19, chapter 19, 45, 46. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Boy, you know what I hope? I hope that LifeGate is known in our community as a place where people pray. I hope that my family and your family is known... That's a family that prays. I hope that you as an individual, me as an individual, will be known as, that's a a person who prays. Is our church known as a place of prayer? Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. It's what he wants. 22. Chapter 22. Verse 40, and when he came to the place, he said to them, this is on the Mount of Olives, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So he's instructing his disciples again, here's how you're to pray. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. So he told them to pray, 
Then he started praying, and here's what he said. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, praying, praying, and praying some more and calling his followers to pray. Let me, let me just, this is just occurs to me. This is the way I think. If the Son of God gave such time and attention to prayer, what does that imply about you and me and the call to prayer? What does that say? If the Son of God gave us that example and that calling, what then should it say to us? But you know, it doesn't stop there, not just with Jesus' time on this earth. I want to look at another passage, this in, in Hebrews. Jesus, after his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, he ascended back to heaven where he came from as the second person of the Trinity. He sat down at the Father's right hand to do what? We all know this. In Hebrews 7, we're told so clearly about it. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. The former priests, that is all the priests in Judaism, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. That makes sense, doesn't it? You got to have a whole lot of them because men die. And so in order to have a continuing prayer and and priesthood, there had to be a bunch of them. Okay. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Eternal intercession. Jesus, all throughout his earthly life, pray, pray, pray. Then when he's seated at the Father's right hand, what's his, call? what's his calling? It's prayer. And at the Father's right hand, for eternity, the Son of God is praying. Praying for whom? For us. <laughs> praying for his people. Praying for us. Now, that kind of intercession, Jesus crying out for us, is something that we value so much. I love the way John Bunyan uh, worded this when he was writing about the intercession of Christ. He said this, and it'll be up here, I think. Okay. Intercession is that prayer that is made by a third person about the concerns that are between two. Inter means between, to speak and to, and to stand between, to come between intercession. We know that there is, there's, a, there's this party and there's this party, and an intercessor is in the middle to bring the two parties together. That's what it means. Jesus is known throughout Scripture and declared in Scripture as being the intercessor between God and man. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He's the way that brings God the Father and sinful man into harmony, reconciling us to the Father. He's the way. He's the one who does that. He's the great intercessor. And what is the primary purpose of his intercession? We're told pretty clearly, aren't we? 
to save us to the uttermost. Do you know what the uttermost means? I, I got this, I pulled this out of a, a dictionary, but it, to the fullest possible sense, and it means, and I quote, to save us to the outside, to the end, to the last, to the farthest point, to the uttermost. That's what Jesus' primary purpose of intercession is, to save us completely, totally, to the uttermost, for eternity. And His continuing intercession at the Father's right hand provides for us not only our justification so that we can be made in right standing with a holy God, but our preservation. He preserves us to keep us until that day of His coming. Jesus our intercessor, not only saving us to the uttermost, but preserving us until that day that we stand before our Father. Now, do we need His continual intercession? Yes, exactly. Why? Because we remain in sin. Is there anybody here who is a Christian who never, ever sins? Did all sin stop in your life when you gave your heart to Christ? We live in a fallen world. We have, we have selfish, sinful desires. Yes, we sin. We don't say that to excuse ourselves, but we say that understanding. We need an intercessor. We need one who still says, here's a holy God, and here you are, and I'm, I'm drawing you together, reconciling you. Jesus is that intercessor on a continuing basis. And do you know what? <laughs> this is cool. We get to share in his ministry. And in order to be sure that, he, that we do that, he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to indwell us. And listen, listen to what this is all about. Romans 8, 26 uh, makes it so clear to us. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Jesus, not only setting the example in His earthly life, in His prayers, not only now in that eternal heavens where He is the intercessor praying for us, but He sent His Spirit so that we could join Him in His ministry. And you and I get to be intercessors. We get to be those who pray. We need a helper. We, we, we get to pray, and we have the Spirit because we are in our weakness, aren't we? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is our weakness primarily when we pray? I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for. I may pray amiss. I may not do it right. I may not have the right words. And, and with one fell sweep, the Lord strikes all that and erases it because He said, I'm giving you my Spirit. Because you don't know how to pray. That's your weakness. So the Spirit is going to help you. He's going to be the helper. It doesn't say that we're not still weak, but we are utterly dependent on the indwelling Spirit of God to help us to be people who pray. Now, okay. So, if Jesus' life on earth was characterized by prayer, as we've seen throughout Luke's Gospel, and if his eternal ministry in heaven is also characterized as 
eternal prayer at the Father's right hand. Maybe I need, maybe you need to re-examine our life and to see what place does prayer have in my life. You know, could we be like Samuel? I love this in Samuel. When he appeared, went before the Israelites, and this is what he said. Far be it from me. This is 1 Samuel 12, 23. Far be it from me that I would sin against God by not praying for you. Far be it from me to sin against God by not praying for you. Do we see the significance of prayer in God's eyes? Even our feeble prayers out of weakness, helped by the Holy Spirit, not having the best words. Who cares about the best words? He even addressed that. He said, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't have good enough words. I don't have fancy enough words. I don't know if I'm saying it right. That's why we're dependent on the Spirit. Maybe all we can do is groan. Maybe all we can do in the Father's presence is Lord, you see the burden of my heart. I don't even understand it. But would you, by your spirit, take the burden that I feel and let that be applied to this situation that others might be touched by you? Jesus set the example of prayer. He is currently, now, and always praying for us. He sent the Spirit to live inside us and help us with prayer. He even, you know, gave us His name by which we approach the throne of grace. I don't come in my own name. My name means nothing. (laughs) But the name of Jesus means everything at the throne of grace. He's given us all that. He's equipped us. Look at all that He's given us in this call to prayer. So can we think of prayer in a little bit different way maybe today? Prayer, and, and my understanding of it is I just examine the scriptures and, and look at what all is said there about prayer. Prayer is a life that is turned towards God. Prayer is a life that is turned towards God. Prayer involves reflecting on who He is and calling on Him to prevail in every circumstance. I don't think it's very healthy to only think of prayer as just a time that isolated times of intentional prayer. There certainly must be those, and God help us to have more. But if that's the only way we think of prayer, I think we're missing something scripturally. Prayer is our whole life lived before God. Our whole life lived before God in His presence. So that as we go through life and experience this and that, our difficulties, our joys, our first response is, Father, what are you saying? What are you doing? How do I respond? In our greatest joys, when things are so wonderful, we might say, Father, I recognize that the joy of my life is knowing you and you have blessed me in this way. Thank you. Our hearts are turned to him. And the greatest tragedies of life or the greatest difficulties of life or times when we wonder if we can make it. Or in those times, as I know, I've been a pastor long enough to know there are times 
when we all suffer tragedies and difficulties. A week and a half ago, a week ago, I was called to the hospital to pray with the family whose husband, father of children, died in a motorcycle crash. Not anybody that I knew. Those kind of times, times of sickness, times of despair, times of wondering, will my job last? Will I have enough money? Times of worry. Those kind of times and times in our greatest joy, a life of prayer says, Father, you who know all and see all, what are you doing? What are you saying? How can I respond to you in this moment? That's prayer. That's prayer. That's prayer. And how we need to grasp that. And, and the good thing about it, listen to this now. Just as Jesus intercedes for us, bringing a holy God and our sinful heart, bring, ch changing us and bringing us to be, together to be reconciled with him. We join him in that ministry when we pray for others. He's the primary intercessor. He's the one that's going to reconcile, but we get to be part of it. And that's exactly what happens when we, we, when we pray. We're seeking, when we pray for somebody, we're seeking to bring the Father together with this need in this person so that that need is met and God is glorified. That's what we're doing in our prayers. When we pray for somebody to be healed, what do we want to happen? But that God, the healer, would come to that one who needs to be healed and that those two would come together. We're just the ones standing in the middle praying. We're not the great intercessor like Jesus is. But we're standing in the middle, joining him in his ministry, saying, Lord, would you heal this one that needs healing? Lord, would you save this one that needs saving? Would you give help and encouragement to this one who is so down? Would you give hope to this one who has lost hope? Would you give faith to this one whose faith is wailing, waning? Would you help that one, Father? Would you bring healing to the relationships in that family or in that parents and children or in that marriage or in our friendships? Lord, would you, you, holy God, be the healer of these who are in need? And we're praying, Father, set your affection and meet that need. That's what prayer is. We don't have to have fancy words. We don't have to know a bunch of stuff. We're just joining Jesus and what he's doing all the time, and praying, praying, and praying. That leads me to say this. The Christian life is a life of prayer, and prayer is one of the primary means by which God accomplishes his will, and we get to be a part of it. I want to encourage us today, join the Lord in that ministry. We can never say, I don't know how, because we, the Lord already knows we don't know how. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. He's going to help us in our weakness. And we pray. We seek the Lord together. He's called us. He set the example for us. He's called us. He's equipped us. The only thing to do now is pray.
Join me as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for the great gift of prayer. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't see that, when we think of prayer as just an obligation or a duty or something that we're not very good at. Lord, we just freely admit to you we're not very good at any of it. But Lord, we are so dependent upon you. We pray that you who gave us your Holy Spirit would be speaking into everyone's heart today, mine included. Lord, make us people of prayer. Lord, we pray that this may be known, LifeGate may be known as a house of prayer. Lord, may my life be seen and known by others as a life that is filled with a call to pray. May our families be families that turn to you in prayer. Father, may we walk with you, with you always before us, Lord, always with that direction to you that we're looking to you for all that you will do. Make us, Father, people of prayer, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.